0: We all know the Tim McGraw song, Live Like You Are Dying, but this topic has been on our minds and hearts recently after losing some really incredible people in our lives who we'll share a little bit about today. If you've ever wondered about how to really make life worthwhile or the regrets of the dying or how to not regret the little time you have on this earth, that's what we're going to talk about today. So Neil and I have been talking a lot about just how life can be so short. And we've seen a couple of people that we knew well pass away. And one of them was a friend of both of ours, but in different phases of life or in different, like we didn't know this person together. So his name was Dr. Eric Johnston, and he was a very well-loved doctor in Utah, and he just passed away. And I babysat his kids and was in his same ward, which is like a church congregation growing up. And he did like a knee scope surgery on me and I think surgery on just about everybody in my family. He was like a, what would you call him? An orthopedic surgeon? Yeah. Just a really, really wonderful man. And then he knew Neil professionally. How did you know Dr. Johnson? Well, I
1: just worked with orthopedic surgeons providing instruments and, and plates and screws and whatnot. So he did, he specialized in foot and ankle. And so those were like the plates and screws and stuff that I sold. Yeah, but so tell I the story
0: of what you always say about him.
1: Oh, there are certain guys that you're in surgery with mm-hmm. these guys, with these doctors, and you're you're there kind of helping the person assisting the doctor set up the different instruments or whatever. So you see these guys operate and you kind of notice that there are some that are better than others. And he was one that was insanely good. A lot of times you got to take a lot, depending on the doctor, they'd have to take a lot of different uh, x-rays or pictures and they were constantly looking at it to make sure that they got like the screw angle right or something to come together the right way. And he was crazy because it just blew my mind he would throw all the plates and the screws not take any pictures so he's kind of doing it just based off of like I don't know I I don't want to say blind because he he knew what he was doing but he would throw all the instrumentation he'd throw all the the hardware the screws and then take a final shot at the end and everything was perfect every Mm -hmm. time it just blew my mind I'm like this guy's amazing so he was one of the guys that just was really, really skilled as a surgeon. Mm-hmm. It, it's really cool. You gain, you gain a love and respect for doctors and for surgeons, especially in this environment. To see what they do, it's nothing short of miraculous. It's really amazing. And he was one of those guys that was like just insane, could do it perfect every single time.
0: Yeah, and also was just... Definitely a staple person in the community I grew up in. So he found out, I think, like a year and a half ago that he had cancer. So he was able to just live life differently from February 2022 to September 2023 when he just passed away a few weeks ago. So they wrote this really cool list of all these things that he did in his, in the program for his funeral, once he found out that he had cancer. So everything from like, buy an e-bike, buy four more e-bikes, throw Kim a surprise birthday party, Kim's his wife, teach my kids how to drive stick, golf with friends from medical school, celebrate my 60th birthday, ride Peter Pan with Nora at Disneyland. Nora's his granddaughter. Anyway, I won't read the whole thing, but there's just some cool stuff on here. Like, Educate my kids on the finer points of exotic cars. I know Neil would appreciate that.
1: I would love that one. Smoke
0: a brisket to add to my mom's amazing Christmas dinner. Shake it off at a Taylor Swift concert. Support Doug's Grateful Dead cover band in Colorado. I don't know who Doug is, but that's awesome. And just some of the cool, cool stuff that he did on here with his siblings, with his children. Stuff that's even as simple as blow bubbles with Nora, again, his granddaughter take my girls on dates, shower my girls with diamonds, write a trigger cookbook, appease my wife by taking multiple family photos, blind taste test vanilla ice cream, water, and colas, live long enough to see Mission Impossible 2, part one, give up knowing how Mission Impossible part two will end, and plan my own funeral. And I've just thought a lot about him and about how life is so short. And Neil, when you're best friend from high school well really how long were you friends with carter
1: Man, for sure since elementary elementary school okay, like early so like like second grade probably
0: lifetime best yeah. friend yeah. and this was a guy that like you guys were best friends all growing up and then after you served missions for our church you came home and lived together and he was like just such a huge part of your life and you talk a lot about how that was so weird that just he was just gone one day yeah. and and we lost Carter to cancer too.
1: Yeah. No, it was weird. I think because he was my same, obviously we we're the same age. And then it was back when, I, th- I mean, I think at the time I was like 31, 32. And so he was about that age. And it just was strange to, to look at it. And because at that time in life, I'm like, oh man, I've got all these things that I want to do and be and all these great and grandiose thoughts of what life is going to be. And and so to see him pass away was like, man, that was it. Like whatever thoughts, dreams, aspirations, whatever you thought your life would look like or wouldn't look like or hopes, like that's it. That's your time. That's all. And so it really kind of shook me that way mm-hmm. and caused me to just look at it and and just i don't know just really sit back and think and reflect about my life and and what i think and what's important
0: yeah and it was also interesting to see carter go through that kind of transition of knowing that his life was limited time i mean all of us have limited time but once he knew he had cancer and i remember having him come over to our house and that there's just a different it's got to be. I mean, I I can't even imagine the knowing that you have a limited time. But in some ways, it has to be a gift to know and to be able to, you know, do things and have conversations. And he was so about like, let's make life worth it and be really like they they didn't have a funeral for him. They had like a celebration, and that's kind of just yeah how he was. I think it's just caused me to think a lot. And then the third person was Jess Coraton. And she knew Dave. Like that was really special. We met Jess in Hawaii. She was at this couples retreat that we went to and she was the yoga instructor for this group. And she came up to us after that first day and said, I knew Dave. And she knew Dave really actually pretty well. This was right when you were kind of struggling in your like anger phase And Jess kind of had these like healing vibes and she just was like, go out to the ocean and just get in the ocean and let the water just wash away all this like hurt and pain and anger. And she really used that gift to help you heal, I feel like.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: And the conversation that she had with us about Dave just felt really special and sacred And, and watching even the way that she interacted with people. And at the time, she was in remission from cancer. But I think that she had that perspective of like, oh, life actually is very short. Then, you know, we found out just this week that she passed away. And just thinking about like, wow, her her beautiful impact and how that changed and helped change your path of grief was so important. And she did all that she was supposed to do in this life. But I think that you can look at something like that too and say, we don't know, you know, none of us know when the end of our time is. So are you going to feel good about what you did with your time here? And it's something that I especially have thought a lot about being, it's weird when I go to these like fashion things, I remember feeling this like in other times when I've gone to fashion week and I just came home from this Amazon creator summit where it was all about like just a lot of stuff like material stuff, which that's the other side of our business, Mint Arrow, where we share deals. And it's something I love. And I, I don't think it's inherently bad, but it's definitely something that I look at and I'm like, okay, that's great. But if I died tomorrow, nobody would be like, yeah, she got me this great pair of shoes.
1: Maybe that would be it. You know, I don't know. Maybe there's somebody out there. That would be the... That would be... But that would be... That would be... I know what you're saying,
0: though. Yeah.
1: Like, there's so much more that you value that you put out there.
0: Well, and I look at Jess and I look at how pivotal to me our interaction was with her. And that that, for us, like, that was the mark that she left for us on our life and on our... That healing journey, it was such a pivotal part of that and that she shared that gift with others and but what are your thoughts Neil about all of this
1: I mean it's a heavy one to really consider and think about but it's one that I've thought about more frequently I don't I don't know if it's just my age I'm getting into my 40s and you start to see people pass away I've seen a lot of my friends more than than I would have thought pass away or I just heard of one of my childhood friends passed away that he lived around the corner from me again I think that sense of like wow life is going to come to an end. And and you, you always think of it so far off in the distance, like, oh, it's so far away, it just doesn't even register. But then when you see it start to hit a little closer to home or really close to home, you recognize like, man, that this really could be it. And what is what is the lasting impact? What is going to be said? I, it's interesting to see what people see, say at funerals, like what's brought up. Even people who are highly successful in their lives or have had these really great and grandiose careers and accolades and all this stuff, like you go to their funerals and it's kind of, that might be cited a little bit, but it's more about the person they it's were. It's
0: relationships, yeah. And it's
1: about personal impact and yeah. things that they did that, you know, maybe not a lot of people knew about that were pretty remarkable or little things that people really, that's what stood out and that's what sticks. Mm-hmm. Which... It's almost kind of, I don't want to say cliche in a way, but it's like, well, yeah, you know. But when it really hits home and it's really right in front of you, it does. It changes everything extremely quickly to where it just separates what actually matters, what doesn't, and what's going to have eternal significance.
0: Yeah, and lasting memories for people that you leave behind because they'll say like funerals are for the for the living not the dead and it's what are you leaving with people who are here are still here and i think that that was very interesting to hear when dave died all these people who were like he was my mentor like he was my and he just had this gift for making every person feel like you were the most important person to him and so interesting too that it almost was like Dave intuitively knew that his time could end soon because he changed his career. He went from being this like super busy, super successful realtor that he was just selling real estate to becoming more of like a mentor at the, oh my gosh, what's it called? I want to say dealership and that's not what it's called. No, but it's like the bro- brokerage or the, the brokerage. Uh... Thank you. And just spending time mentoring. And being, being freed up to spend more time with his kids. And I remember that was talked about a lot at his funeral where instead of being just out super late all the time doing like walkthroughs with people and, and just working crazy hours, he was able to spend more time at home with his kids and developing those relationships with them. And that's not something you can get back, you know? that's not something you can like have a redo of. It is really interesting to see these people and it's, I feel like that's what you always say with Carter's like, that was it. Like whatever he was supposed to do on in life, his time got cut short at how old was he? What? 30s? Early 30s.
1: Even sooner than that. I mean, I think it was like, 11, 12, maybe like 33, 34. Okay, but still, you know, whatever. Still 30s. early 30s. Like that's that's really short.
0: Yeah. And to just, I, I feel like that's always what you go back to is like, that was it. His, his life, whatever he was supposed to do, it ended. So I think that it's a little bit for me been in one ear and out the other when I've heard older people talk about this. Like, oh, you know, like... You never know. But I think to your point, when you start seeing people you know well pass away, then it's kind of like, whoa, wait, this actually is, you get one chance to live life and then it's done. And especially to see someone who's basically exactly our age, Jess was maybe a, a year or two older than us, but like in our same age group as a mom, her life is over at, on, on this earth maybe what would she say to me if she was able to just like talk to me like, Corinne, okay, (laughs) you're still there, I'm not. And, And you and I were talking about this last night as far as like, are you enjoying life? And I've read that before that that's one of the top regrets of people who are about to die is I didn't allow myself to be happy. So you and I were talking about that last night where you were saying, what did you say your mom said to you on the cruise recently?
1: <laughs> that I'm too serious yeah yeah
0: yeah and I was like what would Dave say if and well that know. was
1: his thing he always signed his letters when I was a missionary it's he finished them off and he'd say travel well the journey every time he'd say travel well the journey and then like love Dave and I always thought a lot about that travel well the journey and and I think he was all about enjoying life and living life and and he did, and he we did a lot. He did a lot of fun things, and and we did we did fun things together. That's something, admittedly, I'm working on right now. Like I'm not doing a great job. A lot of times, it's just kind of a grind it out. Like, all right, let me just
0: all logistics. Let of me life. just
1: here. We got to do this. Mm-hmm. I got to do that. I got to whatever. Let me just put my head down, grind it out. Kind of like run the marathon. I see people, and I it's almost I'm almost envious. I'm like, man. They just have this way, Carter was one of them, where they have just a personality where they make everything fun. And it's just fun to be around them all of the time. And it's really not about, okay, well, once this opportunity comes, then we'll have fun. Or once we can get here, then we'll have fun. It's just them being where they're at. They just make it enjoyable and make it fun and and they go about life that way. And I'm like, man, I, I want to be more like that in my life.
0: Yeah, I think you can have an attitude, like a perspective like that, of every day you're going to just enjoy it no matter what you're doing. And I think there are people who that is their gift. Like for sure our little Millie is that way. Like that is her gift. Is This
1: little ball of just, sunshine.
0: Just making everything fun. But I also think some of it takes planning and actually consciously making an effort to do things. And I wrote a little Instagram post about this and I, I wanted to expand on it a little bit on our podcast, but I talked about how seven years ago, you were like, hey, Dave invited us to go to Lake Powell for a week. And this was when we had two kids. Annie was three and Lila was one. We lived in our, I guess, technically the second house that we've lived in in California, but in our old house. I remember kind of being like, uh, well, first of all, we can't take them to Lake Powell. And you were like, Yeah, so we'd have to leave them. And I was like, For a whole week? And you were like, Well, yeah, but Dave says it's like a big deal. And I remember being kind of bugged at first. Like, we haven't taken a trip, just the two of us, for a week. So you want me to pay someone, like, leaving your kids with a babysitter for a week is really expensive. And I was like, You want me to pay a babysitter to watch our kids for a week while we go hang out with other families and kids? And we've never even done that for just ourselves. And you were like, yeah, but Dave says it's a big deal. I'm like, this is a really big deal to me. And you don't push for things like this very often. So I just remember being like, okay, okay. And we went and we had a great time, made amazing memories. And then we never could have known that a few years later, Dave passed away and that we would never get that chance ever again. To yeah. go make those
1: memories. No, and that was like a childhood dream. of the. That was such a big deal because we had talked about all the time, like, man, when we grow up and we have families, like, we want to do... We kind of... My parents weren't into the stuff that we were into. Like, they weren't into, like, boating and snowboarding and riding motorcycles and stuff. So we were like, when we're older, we have families. We're going to go, dude, we're going to go to, like, Lake Powell and go wakeboarding with our families and we're going to hang out. So that trip... They, you know, he had just bought into a a share for with for a houseboat, and it was awesome. And so it was really a
0: beautiful brand new houseboat. Yeah, it was a big moment,
1: like this huge, like childhood dream moment, where we're standing together on this houseboat, and I'm like, I actually made a video of it, and it was so. It was like, man, we've talked about this, like how cool to be actually doing it. It was a big deal, and I could tell when he called me initially about it. I could, I could, I don't know. Dave was, he's. Very persuasive, and I could tell he he was closing me hard on it. He's just like, "Yeah, dude, just come. Just we're just going to do this. Let's make it happen." And I could feel it. I had a, an impression like this is really important. But looking back, I'm super grateful that that we did that and had that experience together. But I it, this whole topic really reminds me. I was listening to this talk by a, a leader in our church, Thomas S. Monson. He was the the prophet for a while, but. What he said, he just had a way of storytelling and the way he spoke was so just warm and positive. He says this in this talk, Finding Joy in the Journey, this is our one and only chance at mortal life here and now. The longer we live, the greater is our realization that it is brief. Opportunities come and then they are gone. I believe that among the greatest lessons we are to learn in this short sojourn, Upon the earth are lessons that help us distinguish between what is important and what is not. I plead with you not to let those most important things pass you by as you plan for that elusive and non existent future when you will have time to do all that you want to do. Mm -hmm. Instead, find joy in the journey now. And I just thought a lot about that. Find joy in the journey now. That was something that Dave said to me all the time. Again, like travel well the journey. It's something that I'm, I'm trying to get better at and work on, but really, really powerful, really cool.
0: That was the other part of my post too, was just talking about how I mean, how many years have I bugged you about like, we should plan a trip with your parents and go somewhere for a week. And you're totally right.
1: And that was awesome that we did it.
0: No, literally, I want you to say how many, how many years have I been bugging you to do that?
1: Oh, I don't know. Five. Yeah. Six years. And like
0: multiple times a year. Right. And you're always like, yeah, we should do that at some point eventually. Yeah. So I finally just picked up the phone, called my mother-in-law and was like, Neil's never going to plan this. So when, when can we go? And we just planned it without you, and I'm so glad we went because it was magical to watch our kids just sit there and have conversations with your dad and with your mom and have dinner with them every night and hear stories, and it was just really cool, really really cool. And like we went to Disney's little private island and watching your dad like swim around with our girls and look for seashells and. Just, uh, he got to tell them about how his mother was the real Moana. Because she kind of was. She was... She
1: pretty she, much was. She was.
0: has this like identical story to Moana. It's very cool. Where my, my father-in-law grew up in New Zealand and went to Samoa. And anyway, just super cool to see that. And your parents are in their 80s. And it's really hard to predict. Like, are we going to get... Oh, if we didn't do that now... Could we do it again next year or in two yeah, years? I don't know.
1: I have a feeling we're going to look back and be like, "Man, we're so I'm so glad we did that when we did." And I mean, who knows? Maybe they've got several years. Well, your
0: or, grandma lived to be a hundred and one, so yeah. your dad could definitely have another twenty years.
1: But but you never know. I mean, I don't know. It, it, but either way, I think looking at it,
0: you're I mean, never going to regret. Be yeah. grateful that we did it. Yeah, so. you're never going to regret those. Those sacrifices, small sacrifices of time and and effort and money to make family memories. Because that's it. That's all you get is those memories. Like you don't get to take with you your Lamborghini, Neil.
1: With my my non-existent, (laughs) my little like toy car that I have. It's a Lamborghini.
0: (laughs) The one that you dream about. (laughs) But seriously, like those things that whatever are your supposed like quote unquote dreams that if they're... Like a thing? You don't get to take yeah, things. That, with it really you.
1: doesn't. That stuff really doesn't matter. It's but just I, stuff. I think you know what's interesting though, in I think of that Lake Powell trip and I think of this this cruise we just went on, neither one of those were they were both like very inconvenient. Yeah. Like the timing, yep. like to spend the money was not convenient. The time was not convenient. They were both like really inconvenient kind of like not great timing scenarios. But looking back, I'm like, I'm so glad that that we took advantage of both of those opportunities. And and I'm the type of person where I think a lot of times I will pass things up and it then it kind of just becomes like it's never gonna be a good time and it never ends up. It's never a perfect
0: time. Yeah.
1: So it's like, oh man. So
0: someday uh, when it's a good time, we'll go do this. No. It's never a good time. It's kind of like it's never like an ideal, perfect time to get married or to have kids. Like if you wait for that, you will never do it. And so family trips and time together and memories, are those are kind of things you just like have to make it happen. Even when it's convenient or inconvenient because it's always going to be somewhat inconvenient.
1: Really? there's I'm finding that. There's never a good, maybe sometimes there is, but... A lot of times it's just not. I'm like, oh, man, how are we going to do this? Or how are we going to make this work most of the time when it's something like that?
0: Yeah. Another thing I wanted to bring up with this idea of you never know when it's your time is when Dave died, the thing that I kept going back to over and over again, and I know I've brought it up on the podcast before, but I feel like it can't be brought up too many times is the talk called Doors of Death by Russell M. Nelson. And what's unique about this is not only that he's, yeah, he's a leader in our church and in our faith system, he's at the current moment, the president of our church. But he gave this talk in 1992, before he was the president of our church, and he is a physician. He's like a world-renowned heart surgeon. His perspective on life and death and watching Lots of patients live or die is kind of unique in that regard. And I love how he explains like the, the way that our physical body comes to the earth, lives out its course, and then the physical body dies, but the spirit lives on and that that is all part of the plan. He says, the writer of Ecclesiastes said to everything, there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. Then he says, "This. Think of the alternative. If all sixty-nine billion people who have ever lived on the Earth were still here, imagine the traffic jam. And we could own virtually nothing and scarcely make any responsible decisions. And that's kind of an interesting thought. Of we all have a time and season to be here, and I think fear can. I I've, have feared death a lot for not for myself, but the fear of losing someone used to just cripple me." And then experiencing watching the closest person other than my grandpa when I was six years old, you know, losing the closest person to me personally has been Dave and seeing that, oh, that was part of the plan and that everybody said when Dave passed away, like this was his time, which was really interesting because he died from homicide. But I love this part too, that Russell M. Nelson says, we were born to die and we die to live. That's such a cool thought. I'll say it again. We were born to die and we die to live. He says, as seedlings of God, we barely blossom on earth. We fully flower in heaven. So if you think of it that way, like we're here to do certain things with our body, but then we get to the other side and we can fully blossom into exactly who we were completely meant to be. And you and I have had some really cool experiences with Dave having really feeling like he had a hand in cool things happening and just knowing that he's, I mean, he's not just like sitting on a cloud, like strumming a harp in heaven that he's working, you know, that he's doing really important work on the other side in his most meaningful, full capacity as a spirit.
1: Yeah. No, I totally agree. I mean, I've, Seen that, I've felt that, I feel it all the time, and it makes sense to me. I mean, I, th- I think the order, the organization that exists here with relationships and people and families and helping each other and kind of ministering or, or serving one another, that spiritually it would make sense. And, and my inclination is that it's similar. And that, yeah, God could do everything himself, but in order to allow people to progress spiritually in the spirit realm, that actually it's, it's doctrine. You've got examples of angels and ministering angels and heavenly messengers in, in like the Bible and in the scriptures coming and visiting people. It's, it's not, you've only got a few times where it's actually Jesus Christ or himself. Most of the time it's other beings. That leads me to believe that spiritually that that work is happening on the other side and that there are things that they can do in that realm that we can't do in the physical realm. And because of that, we need help from them. And it's really, really cool. I mean, and it's mentioned even the Bible, like they that be with us are more than they that be with them.
0: That's one of your favorites.
1: One of my favorites. Yeah. Elisha the prophet. I think having someone pass on so close to me has made me realize the, the reality. I think you think of it more of like, oh, that's a nice idea or, oh, yeah, it's kind of a saying or maybe some little belief or you put it in this realm of, of kind of almost like a fictional realm sometimes, like in the mainstream media of life. But when it happens to someone close to you, suddenly it's like as real as the person standing in front of you. Like that level of reality.
0: Yeah, I have a cool little story, a tidbit that I picked up from Shima, our friend Shima Boffman, who was on the Magnify podcast. I was listening to an episode that she recorded with them and she was telling the story about the Beatles song, Let It Be. Do you know the story behind that song? Vaguely. So a lot of people think it's because he says, Mother Mary comes to me speaking words of wisdom, let it be. So a lot of people think that it's referencing in Luke when the angel comes to Mary and says, like, you're going to have this baby. And she says, behold, the handmaid of the Lord and let it be according to thy word. Although McCartney's like, yeah, that, I mean, I don't know his exact words that he said, you know, "I'll, I'll let people believe that, but also his original meaning and what Inspired him to write those lyrics was that his mother, who died when he was young, came to him in a dream and told him to let it be, let it be. And about her dying, that to just like accept it basically and let it be. That's something that I learned from Shima when she told that story on the Magnify podcast. And I just have thought a lot about that too, about how. I think that we feel like so much pain and agony sometimes when someone dies and that it's like so unfair. How could God let this happen? Or how was that meant to be? And I think that it is, in my opinion, all part of a plan. And that they're like I would imagine that heaven is such a beautiful, wonderful place that they're trying to comfort us and just say, like, hey, it's okay, like let it. Let things happen the way that they're meant to happen. And I mean I say that with I I don't want anyone to feel like I'm just being like flippant but or like dismissing someone's pain because I know that it's so painful and so hard when someone you love passes away. But I think what Paul McCartney wrote about was, like you said, you know, a heavenly angel, heavenly messenger coming to him in a dream, his mother saying like, let it be. And I think that that's what a lot of times our loved ones. I feel like you had some experiences like that with Dave, where he was like came to you and said, "It's all, it's all okay," or so, I don't know something like that, right?
1: Yeah, I had several experiences like that.
0: Where he? What's the message?
1: The message in general is like everything as it as it should be, mm-hmm. despite all the different chaotic logistical life stuff part of it. His message was like. Yeah, everything is just the way that it that it should be.
0: Yeah. So I think that that's something we can take too from that perspective of people who have passed on that I think we get so caught up in things that feel really important here. And then after we die, like what are they stressed about after? Like probably not a whole lot, right? Like it's just... All these little things that we let completely, we worry about and stress over. That it's really, that's not what it's all about at the end of life. So I think that's an important perspective to try to keep in mind too. A Gordon to B. Hinckley, who's one of my heroes, used to always say, "It's all okay in the end, and if it's not okay, then it's not the end." Or maybe he said it all works out in the end. But I think that it's also Glenn Latham one of my favorite authors who wrote Christlike Parenting says today is not forever. And I think that trying to keep those things in mind and living one day at a time and not trying to take on the whole world and take on every problem is probably another really important perspective of what is this life and what are we doing here and what is the meaning of all of it and what's going to matter once it's all over. So I guess that final thought for me is just trying to think about these people that we love who have passed away and who had limited time, Dave not knowing at all. I mean, maybe we kind of like suspect that he had an intuition and, and made some changes, but really like never could have guessed that his life would end when it did. Also having friends who knew that their life was limited time and that they knew they would die soon trying to gather wisdom from the way that they lived and lived like they were dying because they were. And just seeing that it was family, it was experiences, it was trying to infuse joy into small things like blowing bubbles and going on trips and making food and, and being together as families and taking pictures and, and thinking about how can we, live that way more because we nobody knows when their last day is. I would say one more thing too that I think about a lot is I learned in doing the 12 steps and doing steps eight and nine, which is making a list of those that you've harmed and becoming willing to make restitution to them. And then in step nine, you make restitution wherever it's appropriate with people that you've wronged in the past. And that's been a really refreshing way for me to live my life, to go through like a list of people who I have regrets with, and if it's appropriate to make amends with them and not ever feel like, gosh, I didn't take care of something that I wish I would have said, or I wish I would have made that right, or I wish I would have just had that hard conversation so that I didn't have any regrets. And I would say that that's something that if I died... I think that before I did my steps, I probably would have been like, yeah, there's there's things that I left unsaid and there's things I wish I would have made right. And, and now because I did steps eight and nine, and then I live a step 10, which is like, as soon as I realize I'm wrong, I promptly admit it and I try to make it right. That I live my life in a different, like it's a different life design when you live the life of... In recovery. A a 12-stepper, yeah. There you go. (laughs) Whatever. Uh I think those are some, some takeaways that have been on my mind heavily a lot is to try to actually treat this life like a gift and do these things that are just like, yeah, someday we should, like we should get around to or whatever. Like plan the trips, make them happen, pick up the phone, make the plans, make the trip deposit, whatever. Put it on the calendar, actually do it. Make amends with people you need to make amends with and try to be a little happier, do things it's that fun are on. fun, mm-hmm. like turn the music up in the car, not be so serious all the time.
1: <laughs> then my mom's right. My mom knows. But I love, I mean, I'll just kind of end on this. Just one more quote from this talk by uh, President Monson it says, stresses in our lives come regardless of our circumstances. We must deal with them the best we can, but we should not let them get in the way of what is most important. And what is most important always, almost always involves the people around us. Often we assume that they must know how much we love them, but we should never assume. We should let them know. Wrote William Shakespeare, they do not love that, do not show their love. We will never regret the kind words spoken or the affection shown. Rather, our regrets will come if such things are omitted from our relationships with those who mean the most to us. Send that note to the friend you've been neglecting. Give your child a hug. Give your parents a hug. Say, I love you more. Always express your thanks. Never let a problem to be solved become more important than a person to be loved. Friends move away. Children grow up. Loved ones pass on. It's so easy to take others for granted until the day when they're gone from our lives. And we are left with feelings of what if and if only. Said the author Harriet Beecher Stowe, the bitterness tears shed over graves. are for words left unsaid and deeds left undone. So, really, really cool. I think just, just kind of distilling down all the things in life to the most important ones, most important items, which which essentially are people and relationships, and, and not leaving anything on the table is, is really kind of my takeaway from, from what President Monson said, and which I think is most important.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages.